0: You're listening to Highlights from One Planet Podcast's interview with Dr. Junio Boccaletti, Chief Strategy Officer at The Nature Conservancy. I decided I wanted to try and have an impact in the world, and it felt to me that water issues were the sort of frontier, if you will, of where uh, reality of the climate system interfaced the economy and interfaced the lives of everyone. Um, and so that's what I sort of ended up devoting a lot of time And uh, where we are today is that, you know, if you read any newspaper, you conclude that we are in a crisis, right? The climate system is indeed changing, and the way in which it manifests itself uh, in the landscape is through water. And so what we're seeing is the sort of evidence of that. Now, what's interesting about water there is of course this story of the planet the planet is changing but mostly water is a story about us it's a story about essentially a sedentary civilization we've all decided to stay put uh, in a world of moving water and that has meant that for the better part of the last 10,000 years we've struggled with this question of how do you build cities and have societies that are in place while around you where rivers and storms and floods sort of move along and so the problems that we're seeing are not just evidence of a changing climate. They're also evidence of failures of solutions. They're the failures of institutions that have been built over centuries to manage these water problems. And for a while, we thought we had succeeded. For a while, we thought we had conquered nature and we were going to essentially live a life unencumbered by the impacts of water. And now we're discovering that that's not true. So that's where we are. I think we are at a, a turning point in our relationship with water all over the world. That's Maybe not news, alas, for countries that are poorer and that have fewer resources and and less infrastructure, but it's certainly news for the rich countries of the world, the United States, Germany, England, where I live, France, and so forth, who maybe thought they lived in this illusion that they had conquered water, and in fact, it turns out, they haven't. So really, the story of water is a story of how we tried and failed and tried and succeeded to work together, to confront this overwhelming force that the climate system produces on the landscape. Now, as societies have gotten more complicated, that working together has to be intermediated by ever more complicated institutions. And I would argue, and the reason I write so much about history is that I I think that over 10,000 years of wrestling with this question and working through institutions and layers of institutions, it turns out that most institutions of society today hold somewhere in them the DNA of that fight with water. From the most abstract, from sort of some of our religious beliefs to even the republic as an idea uh, is born out of this kind of constant quest to organize together to achieve a collective result and express our collective agency on the natural world. Urbanization is a particular challenge because, of course, we all decide to live together in these very concentrated places. And that means that we have to bring to us most of what we need, including water. And as you uh, will probably realize, if you've ever drawn a bath for yourself, water is heavy. A bathtub of water weighs a ton. So you can imagine having to move millions of tubs around the world as you try to supply cities with water. And so that becomes a very expensive and infrastructurally demanding problem. Because it's an expensive one, it will tie to how well those cities are and tied to how wealthy those people are, right? And so indeed, it's true, over time, we expect about a third of the cities of the world to suffer some form of scarcity, alas, and unfortunately, that will disproportionately hit the poor. So that's another important thing to realise about water issues, environmental issues in general, but water issues in particular, is that delivering water that's safe to drink Delivering water that's timely to use for the various activities, you know, agriculture, whatever, is an expensive business. And without a state that mutualizes those costs, what ends up happening is that wealthy people have access to whatever they need because they can simply buy it, and those who don't have the resources don't. It's one of the reasons I think it's so important to think about history, thinking about the problems of water or the problems of the environment more broadly today, because only when you understand where the current situation comes from, can you then start understanding how to solve it. Nowhere is this more clear than in the case of indigenous communities, because their condition today is the product of human history, is the product of the forces that have kind of moved across the planet over the last three, four, five hundred years. But I think this focus on human rights and on the rights of self-determination, I think, are central to resolving some of the tensions that are uh, intrinsic to the water problem. I think an even more interesting question is, how do we build into our constitutions the recognition that the right to a healthy environment, for example, is something that's as important as the right to a private ownership, right? So this question is, hasn't been resolved yet, but I think it's something that we'll find ourselves wrestling more and more as kind of the climate system changes and as we encounter many more of these problems. So the story of water, from a human rights perspective and from a developmental perspective, access to water, clean water and sanitation, is by far the biggest problem. It's by far the biggest driver of health concerns. From a volumetric perspective, from a sort of planetary perspective, the story of water is a story of food, a story of agriculture. So you end up having essentially th- three different levers to manage the tension between having enough water and growing food. The first one is the one you refer to which is can we get more efficient? Can we do more with less? So the second sort of a big lever is you can sort of change the mix of things that you grow so that you end up having a more effective, more value-adding water use. You get more crop per drop and you get more value out of the drops that you have. Then you have the third issue which is really really important a double-edged sword, which is trade. You can essentially grow things in places that have plentiful water and then move them. That's how the Roman Empire sustained itself. Even Monty Python said that Rome gave us the aqueducts. But in fact, Rome is not particularly important for its physical infrastructure. The experience of Rome is particularly important because they designed a market for food that can pass the whole Mediterranean. They moved crops from Spain and Turkey in Egypt, towards Rome and back. And that's how they achieved food security. In the modern world, the Mediterranean is the globe. Today we move food around all over the place, and we could do that much more effectively and much more efficiently if we grew more things in places that have lots of water and then sent them to places that don't have enough. That's how the whole Middle East sustains itself. Water is eminently local, so the answer to your question is not a global answer. Growing water-thirsty plants in places with plenty of water Is not a problem. There are some instances where growing water thirsty plants uh, in places where people don't have alternatives in terms of income also shouldn't be a problem. So I I think that it's a mistake to think that the problem is only demand restraint. There's 7 billion of us, we're going to have to eat. People go hungry today. People don't have access to water today. There's an imbalance. We have to, of course, figure out how to do things better. But I think it's a mistake to think that the problem gets solved simply by Tukur deciding that water-thirsty plants are good or bad. They're not good or bad. It depends on the context in which they're being grown. I think sometimes there's a little bit too much reliance on consumers and on choices that consumers make. Before we are consumers, we're citizens. The reason I say it's a fundamentally political problem is that we need to think about water first as citizens and only second as consumers. The biggest power we have is not in making choices about the strawberries we eat without knowing where they came from or without knowing the particular conditions in which they were grown on a particular farm. That's not where our biggest impact can be. Our biggest impact is in engaging as concerned citizens in the stewardship of our own resources. And that's true for California, it's true for Europe, and it's true for the rest of the world. So I I hope that makes sense to me. With water, it's always a complicated answer. But I do think that's what I mean by a political issue. In water, we're first citizens, then consumers. We've convinced ourselves that we live in a world that's emancipated from nature. I don't exit my home and wade a river to get somewhere. I don't have to worry about a river coming through my living room and moving my furniture. That was a concern for 10,000 years. In the last 50, 60 years, it wasn't anymore. It wasn't because we spent an enormous amount of money building infrastructure on the rivers of the world, thousands and thousands of dams, levees, canals, to essentially contain the force of the climate system. And then we made a mistake. We convinced ourselves that it had gone away forever. What the floods of Germany, China the droughts of the western United States, the problems of Colorado show, is that's not true. Behind the levees, behind the dams, behind the walls, the same problems keep running, exactly like they did 100 years ago, exactly like they did a 1,000 years ago. And so I don't know what the 100 years from now it will look like. I can tell you that I suspect we'll be talking a lot more about water. We hope you've enjoyed this program and listening to the highlights of this podcast. If you would like to get involved in One Planet podcast or learn more about environmental projects, click on the subscribe button. Thank you for listening.